going to invite you to take your Bibles again to Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devoted soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So this is the beginning of the story of the word of God and the gospel going to the Gentile world. This is probably, out of the New Testament, probably the third most important story that we're ever going to consider. Again, Jesus Christ died, buried, rose again on the third day, being the most important piece of why we celebrate through Easter, the atonement, the shed blood on the cross. The Apostle Paul, we saw in Acts chapter 9, that he had that blinding light experience on the road to Damascus. And this now being probably the third most important story, the immediate chapter after in Acts chapter 10, dealing with the gospel moving to us, the Gentiles. The Gentiles, again, being non-Jewish people and those without the knowledge of Jesus Christ or even Jehovah. It's interesting to note that out of all the people that God chose Cornelius. So Cornelius was in the Italian regiment. He was a centurion, meaning that he was in charge of approximately 100 men that he was stationed in Caesarea, which is actually a port city on the Mediterranean. And for those of you that maybe follow a little bit about current military or police, this person would have been like the superintendent in charge of the entire Dauphin subdivision. So Dauphin subdivision takes in Swan River, Winnipeg Osis, St. Rose, uh, McCreary, down to Russell, all those places. So this is about the size of the regiment that Cornelius would have been looking after as a centurion or the equivalent to the RCMP would be a superintendent. So this is a pretty important high-ranking official that God approaches and speaks to about now his alms and his prayers being coming up as a memorial to God. It's very interesting to note as we consider this what is taking place here. So let's consider first of all Caesarea the actual place where he's living. Caesarea at the time was actually predominantly a Roman city. And as I mentioned, it was on the Mediterranean. There was a lot of trade that was going on. There was a lot of shipping. 
importing and exporting that was taking place. So this is a very important piece to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ taking place into a really busy city. And again, we see Cornelius the centurion, who's part of the Italian regiment, and he had great influence at this time. But also, as we consider his life, he was considered by the Jewish establishment as somebody that feared God. So even though he did not necessarily have a clear understanding of Jehovah, or a clear understanding of the Judaic principles and laws, he was still considered extremely godly. And that these Gentiles, again, who loved God, were sympathetic to the things and to the issues of the Jewish faith. But they would stop short of the Jewish lifestyle. So again, the Italians, the Romans, they would not have been circumcised as men. They would not be eating kosher food. They did not consider themselves ones that followed the Levitical law. They did not consider that as a piece of who they were. And yet again, he was considered to be a godly person and had godly character. As I reviewed this story, it kind of hit me between the eyes that I thought about, what is my godly character? Out of all the people that prayed at that time, as intently and as considerate as Cornelius was, why was he chosen by God amongst hundreds, maybe literally thousands of people that were praying? We don't really have an answer to that. Other than, again, God knew that he was going to be the vessel, the instrument through which the gospel was going to go to the Gentile world. So as you consider that, as you consider coming before God in prayer, as you consider giving alms or whatever it is to the poor, looking after those, would you consider yourself to be a godly person? It's a difficult question to answer because, first of all, there's a certain amount of pride that we think we have to have in order to answer that question. We are godly in various ways. So first of all, we are children of God. We are children of the King. Secondly, when we pray with a sincere and humble heart, we are offering our praises and thanksgiving to God, which is a godly characteristic. But the question that I continually ask as well is, what is my godly legacy to my children and to my grandchildren? Do they see Jesus in me? Or am I just considered to be a good and kind person? We reflect on this often when we go to funerals. There's many times you'll go to a funeral, you'll hear about how good a person was, you'll hear about how they were kind to their neighbors, you'll hear how they were good to their families, but the important piece, the legacy for any of us is, what will they say about us in terms of our godly character? Do we ooze Jesus to the world? Are we led by the Holy Spirit? Do we completely understand what our mission, what our goal is on earth? What is our micro will in the macro, big picture will of God? The macro will for the church being that we're supposed to go and, and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what again is your godly legacy? What will your mark be? Will you be considered to be a good person? Or will you be considered to be one that followed after the heart of God? and that everything you did was of a godly nature and of a godly character. So for some reason, Cornelius, out of all those people who were praying, was the one that was singled out as having a godly character and the one that God knew would be obedient, would be the one to be the instrument to the Gentile world for salvation. So there was something, obviously, that Cornelius was doing that pleased the heart of God.
As we move into verse 3 of chapter 10 here, we see again that this is the ninth hour of the day. The Jewish day started at 6 o'clock in the morning, so the ninth hour would be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he has this angel, as it were, come to him and speak to him about this. But we're not specifically told that Cornelius was praying at this time because it's really 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So we're not really sure what he was doing. And this was the customary time of prayer for the Jewish people. And yet Cornelius, again, not being a Jew, would have potentially prayed at any time of the day that he felt led to do that. So again, this is the ninth hour. We also see in verse 30, and we'll look at this further, that he specifically tells Peter, as he recalls the story as how this happened, that he was praying at the ninth hour that he was in his house. But he clearly sees in this vision that this angel of God comes to him and speaks to him, and that this was actually not a dream, that this was actually happening in real time. This is almost like a movie to him. It's in the mind's eye that he was seeing this. This is so vivid again that later in that same verse, Acts 10, verse 30, that he recalls this man standing in front of him in bright clothing. Now, there's not a lot of visions and not a lot of dreams that are happening these days, and yet as we look at Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2, we see that this is going to happen more and more. That we're going to see old men uh, dreaming dreams, and the young guys are going to be seeing visions, and this is going to be going on to the maids and the maid servants. This is clear in Acts chapter 2 as to what's going to happen. So these visions and these things may again be picking up here as we get closer to the return of the Lord. Now, Cornelius could have just done nothing with this vision. He could have just stood there, he could have stayed at home, and he could have done just nothing and have been completely disobedient. But this is the moment of obedience that we see in verse 4 that he acts on this. Now, the problem for you and for me is we don't have these visions. At least not too many of us are having visions. So how do we know that what we hear is from God? How do we know that if we're going to move forward in obedience, that we're doing it by the hand of God and not out of our own man-made ideas or our man-made thoughts? These are things that you have to get an understanding for yourself as how to hear from the heart of God and how to hear the word of God. And one of those ways is to continually be in prayer and to be led. And you will know when God puts somebody in your path if you're supposed to minister to them or not minister to them. You will know when somebody needs something that you can supply that that's by the hand of God. You will have that unction in your spirit that's given to you by the Holy Spirit prompting you to move forward. And the more times you're faithful, the more times you're obedient, the more times you move forward step by step, you will hear more and more the voice of God and understand God coming in the night, coming in the silence and the quietness of the morning. God coming at noonday and speaking into your ear words of comfort or the fact that he wants you to speak words of comfort into someone else's life. So Cornelius was well aware through this vision that he had to be obedient and move forward and go looking for this guy named Peter who he had no idea who it was. So verse 4 is this moment of obedience and his immediate response is, what is it, Lord? Lenski in his commentary claims that this is the appropriate response. And even though this was an angel, this is kind of like the Lord of the manor, as it were. 
that again Cornelius is given respect and due course to this angel because the angel has been sent by God, by the Lord, by God the Father Jehovah. So he recognizes this. So God now claims that he has heard Cornelius' prayers, that he's been watching what he's been doing. And here's the interesting thing to note, that as Cornelius has been giving alms to the poor, those are works of righteousness. So not only has God been looking at his faithfulness in prayer, and his faithfulness in meditation, and his faithfulness as his seeking the heart of God, God is also looking at Cornelius' actions and realizing that this is a man that's been obedient many times. That his alms that he's been giving to the poor have counted as a memorial to God. There are times that God watches what we physically do. So even though salvation comes to us by faith and faith alone, we are also supposed to move forward, as it says in the book of James, to have works of righteousness. What does it profit if you actually walk by somebody and say, peace be with you, may things be well, and you don't look after that person's physical needs? The Bible is very clear that faith will generate works, not the other way around. We come to Christ by faith and faith alone, salvation through Jesus Christ, but we're expected to be obedient, and our works are the fruit of righteousness, which signifies who we are as children of God. This is accounted as righteousness to Cornelius. And this is one of the reasons why the angel comes and visits him at this time. So the Gentiles would hear the gospel through this one specific moment of obedience. So there are times for you and for me too that we need to be obedient in a constant manner. We don't ever want to be disobedient because maybe it's that one time of disobedience that we are prompted by God and we don't do what he wants us to do that somebody may miss out on hearing who Jesus Christ is as Lord and Savior. But Cornelius again is very obedient at this time. And he's told in verse 5 now to go and send for Simon whose surname is Peter. And this is again is distinguishing again from Simon the Tanner where Peter is staying. But he knew again that this would be done and what God told him to do, he would follow through. It's also significant to notice that God speaks directly to Cornelius through this angel. So even he calls him by name. And that Cornelius responds with this healthy fear of the heavenly and the holy. This shows again the relationship that he has with God the Father. God sends the angel He's used also a man that is going to speak the gospel. And that's another thing we have to stop and consider here. The angel sent directly from God does not take the time to speak to Cornelius about Jesus Christ. This is a significant thing for you and I to pay attention to. He will later send Peter from Joppa, 33 miles away, to Caesarea, to Cornelius. And it will be Peter, a man, a human being, who spreads the gospel to the Gentile world. This is how God operates. God will go to people sometimes and reveal who Jesus Christ is through visions. We've heard the Islamic world that many people have had visions and dreams about Jesus Christ. But quite often, he mandates you and me to be obedient to walk forward and to tell people about Jesus. And that's what's going on here. The angel could have told Cornelius what was going on. But instead, he completely and utterly trusts in a man that's going to again speak into the life of the Gentile world. 
So actually in one of the commentaries, they said that typically this is how God operates. He speaks to several people about a matter, not just one. His confirmation is provided, and out of the mouth are two or three witnesses, a word is established. And as I considered this, and look, there's many verses in Proverbs that talk about wise counsel, that talk about groups of individuals moving the gospel forward, and that where two or three are gathered in my name, there will I be in the midst that we see in the New Testament. But there's this wise counsel that when you and I go to do something, and if it's a big, hairy, audacious goal for Jesus Christ, that we go to others we sit down and we say, look, this is what I'm hearing from God. I need you to pray this through before I walk forward in obedience just so I'm not missing something, just to make sure that I'm not mishearing from God, that I'm not misreading what God wants to do. So if God is putting one of these big, hairy, audacious goals in front of you that he wants you to do, it's wise to sit down to pray this through with someone else and see what they're hearing from God on the same matter to walk this out. So this again is taking place here. So these two men now, Peter and Cornelius, are 33 miles apart. As I said, Joppa to Caesarea is probably about a day's journey to walk. They could walk as far in a day. So Cornelius actually sends people from his household. He sends three in total. He sends two servants and also this, this guard, this uh, regiment soldier, as it were. So he's actually taking government issue or general issue, and you and I would know this as GI. We know GI Joe. The GI actually stands for government issue or general issue. So Cornelius is actually taking a regular everyday soldier, government property getting paid by the government, and he's sending this guy 33 miles away to guard these two servants who are going to go grab Peter and haul Peter back to Caesarea. It's interesting to see what's going on here. But again, he's given this reminder that Peter is lodging with a commoner. We spoke before about Simon the Tanner. Now, we talked just marginally about Simon the Tanner, but this is something to consider. That at the time, a tanner or a taxidermist was considered to be unclean to the Jewish community. No offense to any taxidermists today, but back then, this is a person that was considered to be unclean because they were dealing with animal, with animal carcasses, with tanning of hides, and that to a Jewish person was considered to be ceremonial uncleanliness that was going on. So Simon the Tanner is where Peter is staying. And it's interesting to note that God uses this unclean commoner to also be part of the message of Jesus Christ going to the Gentile world. It's amazing how God actually orchestrated this whole thing for you and I to see in 2018. And again in verse 7, we saw this immediate response where he sends the two servants and the soldier. And also in verse 8, he explains to them what has taken place, and he's sending them off to Caesarea. Now as we move forward, let's go to verse 10. This again is one of those points in time where we ask, what in the world is this doing here? As you read verse 10, then he, being Peter, became very hungry and wanted to eat. Why do we care that he was hungry? <laughs> what has that got to do with this story? Right? It's one of those things where you're going, okay, God, why'd you put this in there? There's a few things that are going on. Lenski actually believes that Peter may have been fasting and that he was extremely hungry. This is noonday, by the way. So the actual morning feast, the actual morning meal to the Jewish community is at 10 o'clock in the morning. 
So they're well beyond the noon meal time of 10 o'clock. They're now at 12 o'clock noon the next day when Peter is now going to see the vision coming to him. So this is all playing out here. So there is a belief that one of the reasons why it's mentioned here that Peter was hungry is because God being the provider, God being the one that's providential, now comes to Peter with this sheet, this linen, with all these animals in it and says, okay, you're hungry? Here you are, I'm providing for you, go ahead and eat. And Peter sees this in a vision. And his world is rocked because he realizes that some of the animals in the sheet that's let down, they're unclean. And he can't have them. So a Jewish person, even if they're going to go and eat the meat of an animal that chews its cud, that, per, that, that animal actually had to have a cloven hoof. And if they didn't, they weren't allowed to be eaten. Like a camel, as an example, doesn't have a cloven hoof, but they chew their cud. So there's all these Levitical rules that they had to pay attention to. And Peter, being raised as a Jewish boy, had never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. So now he sees this sheet, he sees these animals of all kinds, and he's going, God, I can't eat those things. And this is metaphorical now in a couple ways. So God is now saying to Peter, well, who are you to say that what I'm giving you, you can't eat? Who are you to say that what I've cleansed, you're now saying it's unclean? Who are you to be saying that back to me as the Holy God? They have this debate three times. You'll notice this, three times. Jesus prayed in the garden three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. There's all these threes in the Bible. So threes are often in the Bible repetition to give emphasis. And that against what's going on here that Peter and the Lord have this discussion three times that God keeps poking them, saying, you don't get to call these things unclean because I've cleansed them. And this is the beginning again of him saying, not only are you allowed to eat these things now because Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and the Levitical laws don't count, right? Because don't forget, the Old Covenant, the Levitical laws are only in place Till Jesus Christ comes, he dies on the cross, and he fulfills the law. He fulfills the law by dying, being buried, and being raised again on the third day. So the Levitical laws are complete. So he's saying to Peter, you now get to eat, but also realize that anything I've done, anything I've said, any person I want you to go to now is considered to be worthy of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We'll see later in verses 34, 35, and 36 in that area where Peter talks about that anybody from any nation has the right to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So these first 15 or 16 verses in Acts chapter 10 sets the stage for you and I being able to, in the 20th and 21st century, to come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because we are now no longer considered to be unclean people. That the atonement, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, is there for you and for me. That Jesus died, and his blood covers a multitude of sins. And as we see in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my transgressions from me. So this is a beautiful picture here, this metaphor, as it were, of God the Father coming to Peter and saying, you don't get to say what's clean and what's unclean. 
You just need to be obedient and walk forward in what I'm calling you to do. And that's kind of where we started off this time together, is speaking again about our obedience and what God wants us to do. What God wants us to move forward in terms of our life plan and our life goals. And again, our micro will in the macro will of who he is as, as God. Almost every day I think about standing in front of a holy God when I die and taking account for the things I've done good and bad. It's the beam of seat judgment for believers and it's in Second Corinthians. It's mentioned there. So I want you to consider that someday you're going to stand in front of a holy God and you're going to take account of the things you've done good and bad. And I'm praying that I've done more good than I've done bad. <laughs> right? right? I'm really hoping that everything I've done has been through obedience. I pray that God looks at me someday and he says, you know, you and Darlene went to Cornerstone in 2018 and you were obedient because that's what I called you to do. Right? I never want to miss the will of God. I never want to be disobedient and discount how he's speaking into my life. There is quite a bit going on here in these first 16 verses. There's obedience. There's God talking to us. There's learning to hear the voice of God. There's understanding the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Realizing now as again we move into the uh, verses further on, Acts chapter 10, that every nation has the ability to understand who Jesus Christ is as Lord and Savior. So as you leave here today, ask yourself a couple questions. First of all, do I have godly character? Will I be considered a godly person when I die? And secondly, do I know how to hear the voice of God so that I'm obedient to everything he calls me to do? Those are two, I think, important questions as we end today. Let me pray. Father, thank you as always for being in your presence. Thank you for your leadership in our lives. Thank you that you give us all jobs and tasks to do. May we hear from you. May we have an understanding of how to hear your voice. May we have an understanding of what godly character looks like and whether or not we possess godly character. Father, we can do that without puffing up our chests or, or being really prideful about that. We can understand whether or not we are your child and doing what you call us to do. And when we're obedient, we know that there's godliness that you've put into our lives, and it's only through you and to your honor and to your glory. As we leave here, let us consider again who you are, knowing full well that you are in control of the world. In the name of Jesus, amen.